Hey everyone, it's Joe Chicarone. Welcome to Built Not Born, episode 65. Today's guest is Phil Martelli. Phil Martelli is the associate head coach with the University of Michigan basketball program. Prior to his time at Michigan, Coach Martelli led the St. Joseph's Hawks for 24 years as their head coach. Phil was named NCAA National Coach of the Year in 2004 when he brought the St. Joe's Hawks into the Elite Eight as the number one ranked program in the country after going undefeated through the regular season. Phil is a four-time winner of both the Atlantic 10 and the Philadelphia Big Five Coach of the Year. He's also a member of the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, I was so honored to have Coach Martelli on the show. Coach and I discuss his time at Widener, how he wound up in the Philadelphia Catholic League coaching Bishop Kenrick High School. Phil also tells us how he and Coach Gino Ari Emma of the University of Connecticut wound up on the same coaching staff at the same high school in Narstown, PA. His transition to St. Joe's, his time there, and now as the associate head coach with Jawan Howard at Michigan. Phil and I discuss why it is so important on and off the court to earn people's trust, to create lifetime relationships, and why respect has to be given before it's received. So thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit the follow button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Phil Martelli. And remember, life is built, not born. Coach Phil Martelli, welcome to the show. I'm glad to be here, Joe. Uh, Bring back memories, man. Norristown, Norristown. It's an honor to have you, Coach. Hey, Coach. For the listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? Well, presently, I'm the associate head coach at the University of Michigan, working with Juwan Howard. A lot of people of a certain age would remember a member of the Fab Five, first $100 million player in the NBA. Um, starting my fourth year here, but through and through, I'm a Philadelphian. Spent 34 years at St. Joseph's University, 24 as the head coach, 10 as an assistant. Prior to that was the head coach at Bishop Kenrick High School. Graduated from Widener. Graduated from St. Joe's Prep. And married to a Hall of Famer. My wife, Judy, played at Immaculata. Their team has been enshrined. In Springfield, Massachusetts, she won three national championships, father of three, grandfather of 10. And um, I've, I've always said this, Joe, like through and through, it's much more important for me to be Phil Martelli than it is to be the coach. And uh, hopefully I've had, an, ha- I've had a, an impact on the young people uh, that I've been fortunate enough to coach both at Bishop Kenrick, at St. Joseph's, and now in Michigan. That is awesome. Coach, I'd like to cover your awesome career all the way from Widener through Kenrick through St. Joe's, lessons learned, the people you influenced, the things you took away from there. Definitely want to get into what you're doing now. Even dug up that book you wrote a couple of years back, really cool quotes in there. But I want to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? Well, 
because of my current position, I tell everybody I was born in Michigan. I was. I was born in Mount Clemens, Michigan. My father was in the Air Force at the time. We were probably here eight or nine months. And then Philadelphia, Southwest Philadelphia, St. Barnabas grade school till the sixth grade, seventh grade, we moved to Delaware County. I grew up in the shadow of Monsignor Bonner High School and Archbishop Prendergast High School. I was fortunate enough when I was in the eighth grade to get a scholarship to St. Joe's Prep from a family called the McEwen family. The McEwen family had a son that that passed away while he was in high school, and they gave a scholarship to St. Joe's Prep for a student from St. Philomena's. And I I was fortunate enough to be able to, to get that. The McEwen family, the guy ended up being the DA in Delaware County from St. Joe's Prep. I went to Widener in Chester. And so when people say, where are you from? I proudly say I'm from Philly. Awesome. Italians, being one myself, growing up, the dinner table is a big deal, especially Sunday dinner. What was it like, say, around the Sunday dinner table or just dinner table in general for you when you're like 10, 12 years old? Who was there? What was going on? Could you describe the scene? Well, I was the oldest of of seven. So at some point in time, they were all five sisters and my brother were added on. But I always I always raise my hand when when that subject comes up about an Italian heritage. My mother's maiden name was McCormick. (laughs) Uh, So and I tell people the most the most Italian food that we ever had would be spaghetti and meatballs. And that was it. Joe, being in a big family and being back then, it was the you knew what each day was going to be. So Sunday was roast beef. Uh, Tuesdays, uh, spaghetti and meatballs and ham was in there one day. And on, on Fridays, uh, we weren't poor, but we weren't rich. On Fridays, when most people say, well, that must have been pizza, I would say to them, no, it was, it was grilled cheese. <laughs> uh, and you know, back then, being a Catholic was a big deal. You, you couldn't eat meat on Friday. Uh, so it was all, it was grilled cheese for lunch. I ate more than my share of peanut butter and jelly, but at the table, and this is a, a lesson that people say, well, what who's the best coaches you've ever had? I said, well, my mother and father, my first coaches, and they were the best coaches. And what I always noticed was that respect was always given. So if it, if it was a friend at a, dinner table, if it was, uh, if it, it was somebody in the neighborhood who was down and out and, and just needed a meal. My mother was a waitress at the hotels at the University of Pennsylvania. She would bring people. They respected everybody. And, and your station in life, the color of your skin, your, the origin of your families didn't matter to my parents. And, and I took note of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the idea, I think, I think today's young kids understand and can feel when when they're loved. When I was growing up, I knew I was loved, and it was like a, a whole village. You know, my mother's family and and my father's family, they were in South Philly, but there was love. And you might not have had a lot, but the little that you had became a lot because it was like a shared experience. The opportunities in Southwest Philly, going to the playgrounds, 
creating games, feeling safe. And that's one of my great pains today, Joe, is kids just can't go out and play anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and we right away say, well, because we overorganize them. Yeah, but if we didn't overorganize them with just the lack of civility and kindness that's in this world, it would be hard to comfortably sit still and watch your grandkids or your children and just say, oh, where are they? They're over at the park playing stickball or, or any of the games that you make up when you were a kid, the same thing that you did when you were in Narstown. Yeah. You mentioned the word there, respect, and I kind of group respect and trust together. There are two things that if you want, you have to give first. Absolutely. And if you don't give it, the quickest way to earn either respect or trust from someone is what? You got to give it away to get it, right? No question. Not enough of that. And kindness too. You touched on kindness. My gosh, is kindness missing in today's world? Like It's so easy and free to be kind, but you see so many examples of lack of kindness. It's uh, it's mind boggling, isn't it? Yeah. And- it's always been my thing about, you know, we advance, we advance, we advance, we advance, and you have these phones. We have all these apps and platforms, and we allow people to be anonymous and they can say whatever they want. They don't have to back anything up. Yeah. I'm still into relationships. And when people ask me, you know, what did you take from your time at Kenrick or what'd you take from your time at St. Joseph's? I would say relationships and memories, relationships and memories. And if we could all do that in each one of our interactions, could be a business interaction, could be a church interaction, could be a community service interaction. If we could take that, we can move closer to kindness. We need it because we've jumped so quickly to evil and the young people are facing it every single day. And, and before it was just considered mean. Ah, oh, you were the mean kid. Yeah, but now it's evil and it hurts. It really does hurt when you read about things and and you see that people are are just not kind. It costs you nothing to be kind. It costs you nothing to be respectful. Yeah. But it has to be part of your DNA. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned memories. And like one of the memories are let's say shared experiences. And I think that's where like maybe organized sports. Is such an important part because there's nothing that bonds people together like shared experiences, right? Like you have a shared experience, you go through a run, you have a tough season together, a great season together, what have you. Go to training camp together, you go through high school together. There's nothing like that shared experience, what, to create a relationship. When you got a relationship with somebody, you just go out of your way and you do hopefully acts of kindness and you res- then that respect and trust comes back. And uh, yeah, those things, when, they, when you have respect and trust and kindness and shared experiences and you have those relationships, life becomes so much better, doesn't it? Yeah. I think that the word that I would add to that, Joe, is the idea of having real relationships. Okay. Sure. You know, like I I think that there's a lot of transactional relationships out there in, in today's world, but a real relationship. And I would always ask my players this, how many friends do you have? Like early when they're young, they want to give you real impression. Oh, I'm friendly with everyone. Okay. So like, how many real friends do you have? And they would look at you funny and I'd say, okay, here's what a real friend is. How many people would call you if they got a flat tire at two o'clock in the morning? And how many people would you show up for? And on the flip side, when you're in a jam at two o'clock in the morning, let's just call it the way it is. Let's say that you're a young kid, you're out and you go, yeah, you know what? I've had too much to drink. I got to get a ride home. I'm going to call the following three people or five people. And I'm 
99% certain they're going to show up for me. That I would say to them, then you have a real relationship with that person. It's not wrong to have transactional relationships. It's not wrong to have casual relationships, but a real relationship is somebody that you would be there for come hell or high water. What doesn't matter, doesn't matter. And the same is true of what that person would do for you. And like in college basketball, Joe, with all that we have going on with transfers and all that other stuff, it's becoming more of a transactional business than it is a relationship business. And so I go back to that when somebody says, what is it that you took away? What is it that you took away from Bishop Kenrick? The wins? Nah. What is it that you took away from St. Joseph's? The wins, the championships, the NCAAs, the rings, the what? Nah. It's always been about the relationships. And hopefully they will be lifetime relationships that when there is time to celebrate and a young player wants to call you and tell you that they were engaged or the birth of a child or a new job, and also that you're there for the toughest of times, the passing of a parent, the loss of a job, trying to find their way. Yeah, you have to be that. Those are what really that's what I'm proudest of. And that's at the core. That's the most meaningful part of my career are the real relationships. Yeah, that's great. Wrapping up your childhood memories here. If you look back, there's times in Southwest Philly, what's the most powerful memory of your childhood? There's just so many things that have happened. I've been thinking about a couple of these things recently and that I'm going to go back to that. Hopefully there are people my age that are listening, but the weekend that John Kennedy was assassinated, my father took me to the Eagles game. Mm-hmm. He had season tickets to the Eagles and he just didn't, you know, he asked, asked me to go. And I can remember walking through the parking lot and the guy, the parking lot attendant came out of his little booth and said, they just killed him. And he meant Ruby had just shot Lee Harvey Oswald on television. And that was like a frozen memory. If you said to me, who did the Eagles play? I don't know. Did they win or lose? I don't, I don't know. But mm-hmm. we sat in Franklin field and the whole country, the NFL played that weekend, mm-hmm. the weekend that John Kennedy w- was assassinated. I go back and I have the memory of 1964 when the Phillies lost the pennant up six and a half games with 12 to go. And they, they lost, um, the pennant little known fact, they finished the season in Cincinnati. And I think they won Saturday and Sunday. And I lived in Southwest Philly and the guys at the playground said, Hey, let's go see the Phillies plane. When they come back, we walked to the airport right down (laughs) 70th street. We walked down to the airport right down 70th street. And, uh, you know, this is pre nine 11, obviously. And the players got right off the plane, you know, and you're thinking, well, they'll just win the pennant in 65. Little did we know it would not be till 1980. <laughs> and then this one has just come back to me. I was in the seventh grade and I seventh or eighth grade. And my grade school coach took me to the convention center, Joe, down on the University of Penn's campus. The Philadelphia 76ers with Will Chamberlain were playing Golden no, San Francisco Warriors with Rick Barry for the world championship game five. 
And we walked up and there were no tickets to be had. And it was my first interaction with a scalper. And I can remember Tom Gallagher was my grade school coach. And he said to the guy, how much? And the guy said, $5 or something like that. He looked at me and he said, how much for the kid? And he said, $5. Joe, we went, we went into the convention center underground. So we went down into the pipes underneath the convention center. That's how we got in. We, we went down a manhole and, and, and through this tunnel and we came up and there we were in the concourse. And so that kind of stuff is like resonates. And so many of those things happen and people say, oh, you made it up. I think I, I would think, well, how, how much, how vivid do you think my imagination is that I could make up going into a manhole down into uh, pipes to get in? I, you couldn't make that up, but. That sounds like a Scorsese oh, movie. Like you walk right. in the kitchen. That's awesome. Right. The high school memory for me, I went to St. Joe's Prep. The high school memory for me would be having had the chance to play on a Catholic League championship team on 19, in 1971. And um, we also played for the city title on a Saturday morning. We played Andre McCarter and an overbook team and they beat us. And I went home uh, to Lansdowne. It was a nice day. The game was going to be on tape delay, like on channel six. And I remember it being a nice day. And I just, cause what I did, I just went down to the outdoor courts where I played growing up and I went down there and I played. And guys were coming up and going, yo, Phil, you're on, you're on TV. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what happened. I was at the game, so we lost, and I'd rather play. And uh, so when you say about it, it's just, you know, pre-college, that's the kind of stuff that resonates with me. And then the opportunity, the, the special place that St. Joe Prep was. You know, there was a Philadelphia Magazine article written that said it was the one place where it didn't matter if you were the son of a bus driver or the son of a surgeon. They were going to, the Jesuits were going to educate you in not just book education, but the way of the world. And I'm not sitting here today with you, Joe, without having had a St. Joe Prep education. Oh, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. From St. Joe's Prep, you go to Widener on a scholarship. Quick summary, play point guard for Widener. I think you set the single season assist record there at some point. For yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to play with six 1,000 point scores in my career, or they scored six, they scored a thousand points. That was a really big deal, no three point line. I had an opportunity to go to Widener, Division three. So, so the scholarship was more need, you know, need based, not wasn't basketball based. The thing that I appreciated about Widener, both in basketball and in football, uh, actually, all of the sports but I was most closely associated with basketball and football is that Widener, unlike a lot of division three schools where they have teams that participate at Widener, you were expected to compete for championships. And that drove me, that drove me to be there to compete for a championship. My last game at Widener, we played at the university of Scranton in the East regional division three East regional final. And we lost. Scranton went on to win the national championship. I believe if we had won that game, we would have won the national championship. And, But I also had the opportunity at Widener to get connected with the football team. So my work-study job, J 
Joe in college was I was the football stat man. And that was the time when they had the legendary, he'll eventually be in the pro football hall of fame. He's in the college football hall of fame. He's one of the NFL put out that top 100 players in a hundred years. And Billy White Shoes Johnson, the original guy that danced in the end zone, he was a couple of years ahead of me. And I was the stack guy. He was setting a record every time he touched the ball, the NCAA sent a representative to make sure that I would mark it down. So when he would run back a punt and they would say, how far is that? And I would say 87 yards and they would say, okay, that's a record for punt returns over 85, mark it down. So I had a chance to watch them up close and personal and they won the national championship while I was at Widener and Bill Manlove, just a wonderful, wonderful man, along with my coach, C. Allen Rowe. The biggest life lesson from Widener was one that I've always had, I've always carried it with me, was that basketball is the greatest societal experiment. Basketball doesn't care if you're black or white. Basketball didn't matter if you were from Norristown, South Philly, Delaware County. Doesn't matter if you're from Harrisburg. If you can dribble, pass, and shoot, if you can respect each other's game, and if you can share the game, then you can go play anywhere. You know, Joe, I could, you and I could get together and I'll say, hey, I'll meet you on the courts in Wildwood Crest. And if we've done that, dribble, pass, and shoot, and we respect each other's game, and we're committed to just competition, not winning, but just to committed to the competition, that's what basketball taught me from a very, very, very young age. And at Widener, I was amazed because as you get older, you have different values. You know, some guys on my Widener team, very religious. Some guys were, were ultra smart, not, not just smart. Like they were ultra smart in engineering and, and pre-med and there's other guys on the team and there's not anything wrong that we're like, okay, let's, let's just get till the game's over and, you know, let's go get a couple beers. And my roommate at Widener had just came back from Vietnam. He was a 26 year old or 23 year old freshman we stayed in, we were in school together. Uh, we were co-captains our senior year and um, he's back from Vietnam. You know, I, I'm back from, from running on the courts in Delaware County or Southwest Philly or North Philly where St. Joe Prep is. And this guy's actually fighting for his life. Wow. Uh, so I, I've always felt basketball was a great equalizer. I never discriminated. And uh, that was evident to me, really evident to me at Widener, and that it flamed me to want to coach. My experience at St. Joe's Prep, I always wanted to be a a coach in the Catholic League. But then when I went to Widener, I was like, man, this game is, this game is, is in my blood. It's my DNA now. I can't let it go. So when I left Widener and had a chance to be a JV coach at Cardinal O'Hara High School, under the legendary Bud Gardler, it was the start, you know, my path to, but where I wanted to end up, Joe, was I wanted to end up being a coach and a teacher in, in the Philadelphia Catholic League. You mentioned the word competitiveness there a couple of times, but is that taught or is that innate in people? Cause I see of uh, kids going through different sports from lacrosse to swimming to baseball at water polo. You see some kids that are just so ultra talented 
and they just don't have that drive. They kind of goof off from practice, miss practices, just they don't care as much. And there's some kids that are not as maybe naturally talented, but they have just that grind, that grit and grind, and they give everything. Can you teach someone to be competitive, say someone who's maybe has all these natural gifts that maybe just doesn't have that type A fire in them? Is that taught or is that innate? What's your experience, Taya? I think it's a matter of finding your love, not your like. Okay. I think sometimes when you see, when you see, you know, young people and they say, they they seem to like that, you know, they, they, they seem to like it, but when you can match that love and I, and it it could be, Joe, it could be a love of reading, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, there's nothing that will get in your way for a while. I liked golf, but I didn't love it. I was never going to go practice. I was never going to go work on it. I was never going to be alone and just say, well, you know what? I have to get X done. And, and I, I I would hope that for young people, we could get them to the point where they could identify that, that they could fall in love. They can fall in love with the theater. They can fall in love with research. They could fall in love with writing. They can fall in love with basketball. They could fall in love with an individual sport, tennis, golf, whatever it would be. And I think when you get that, when you get that, that then drives that competitiveness. Mm-hmm. Joe, you, you and I both know guys, right? Mm-hmm. And ladies that are out there and they're like, you know what? I just want to get to the end of today. Yep. And then I want to get up tomorrow and I want to get to the end of tomorrow. Yeah. And, and where, what they need to find their love and, 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 and it could be, it could be love of sales could be a, uh, an overnight truck driver and saying, you know what? I, I just love what I do, mm-hmm. not love what it gets me yeah. material, but love, love what you do. And then I think all that, that comes out. Mm-hmm. That comes out in that drive. But in order to get there, you do need emotional balance. You you brought up a point there about you see, see some young kids that are so, so, so gifted. And yet, you know what? The back gets flung after a strikeout when they're a kid or mm-hmm. the helmet or in a team sport, they're quick to say, yeah, but he didn't or she didn't. Yeah, That's where there's not emotional balance. And that's what I think we're all looking for. We're looking for emotional balance. Yeah. But we want something that that moves our spirit. Yeah. Just to synthesize there, basically, I love it. You said, find your love, not your like. And then not just love the end result, the money it gets you or the acclamation or the write-up in the local paper, whatever the, the outcome is. You don't love the outcome. You love the grind, the process, yep. right? Yep. You got to love the process. And if you love the process, the rewards will come. And then you need that balance where it's, you know, when you strike out, like maybe take the lesson, but no need to break the bat over your leg or scream at somebody on the bench. No, that's great, Kurtz. Thank you. Uh, I would say this, Joe, like I've I've always carried this with me, like not every winning experience is a win and not every losing experience is a loss. Wow. That's great. Not every win is a win and not every losing experience is a loss. That is great. Thanks for sharing that. How about just fast forward a little bit here? So then at, your, at what point in your playing career did you realize not only do I love this game, but I actually want to coach it? What point did that come into play? I, I would actually say to you uh, as early as the ninth grade, 
Really? Not at all. Wow. And here's what it here's where it came from. It and people say, well, use sports, use sports, use yeah, but we had three CYO coaches when I was at St. Philomena's in Lansdowne. One was a local politician, one was a mailman, one worked in a bank. And I just was fascinated by the fact that they could take like these 12 and 13 year olds and they could kind of move everybody in the same direction in the pursuit of a, of a championship. And I thought it was magical. I really did. I thought it was magical uh, what they did. And so when I was in the ninth grade, I said, well, you know what? I really want to play in high school and I want to play in college, but there's limitations to what I I'm going to be able to do. So how do I stay involved? So when I was in ninth grade, I would go back and coach like the fifth and sixth graders in the neighborhood. And I would coach in summer leagues and I was fascinated. I didn't know what, I didn't know what it was though, Joe. I thought it was, you know, you wore a suit and yelled at referees and (laughs) that was really cool. And, you know, but as I progressed, I started to really study. I would look at different things and I would say, yeah, you know what? Not patterns, not ways of playing, but ways of carrying yourself. And uh, by the time I was in college, I knew that was to be my path that I was going to, as I've said, I wanted to coach and I wanted to teach in the Catholic League because at that time, Speedy Morris and Bud Garler and Bill Fox. And I just thought that if you could get into that league and compete against the best Mm -hmm. and you would prove whether or not you were good enough. In the summers, I would coach the St. Joe prep team mm-hmm. in their summer leagues when I was in college. Tom Lynch was a dear friend. Just anything I could do to be around the game in that capacity was what I wanted to do. So you're at Widener. You were, were you assistant coach at some point at Widener? Yeah, I was. A, my first year out of school was 1976, 76, 77. I was the JV coach at Cardinal O'Hara. 77, 78, I was assistant coach at Widener. We played for the national championship, lost to North Park from Illinois. And then that was 77, 78. So in 78, I got the job at Bishop Henrik High School. How'd that come about? How'd you go from Widener to... Well, Mike Mike Lynham was the coach at Kenrick. And obviously it's a small community. You know, the basketball community is small. Mike needed to concentrate on family and business. And with Bud Garler backing, Father Joe Murray and Joe McNamara, the legendary Joe McNamara. Oh, yeah. At Kenrick, they interviewed me. And you no, know, I don't think there would be a lot of places that would take a chance on a guy that was, you know, 23 years old, but they gave me that chance. And truth be told, I, I didn't know what a special community Norristown was. You know, to me, it was the Catholic League. And then when I got in, involved and engrossed really in the the Norristown community. It was very much like a, very much like a college job. Like we did that job 365 days a year and it mattered. It really mattered to the community. Um, What kind of, who was on the team and how they were playing and how they were coached. So it was a tough first year learning. I feel badly for the David Angelonis and the Peter Tausses and Chris Wallens and the Brian Rafferty's and Peter Votes and, the, and those guys, because uh, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I tried to mimic other coaches and realized after my first year, no, that's not me. I got to be me. So uh, 
Who are you trying to be? Like, who would you emulate your first I, I, year? You, you name it. It would be something that I saw on TV with, you know, it could be Speedy Mars with taking your coat off or <laughs> could it, it, just dumb, really. It was the word I would use is thoughtless. Like I had no plan. And the summer after my first year at Kenrick, dear, dear friend of mine is Kathy Rush, who is in basketball hall of fame and coached at Immaculata. And she sat me down she said, let me see your daily plan. I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, let me see your practice plan. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. So how about your monthly plan? What were you trying to cover? I said, I was trying to cover everything. And so I, I can remember my first year practices and at one end of the floor, the stage end of the floor, you know, where the stage was, Joe, I would say mm-hmm. we would be doing um, out of bounds plays. And I would be thinking about rebounding at the other end. We're, well, we're going to go do rebounding. And we did that the whole year. Like it just, I was not organizing. And from that moment forward, every practice of every day that I've ever been on the court, I map it out minute by minute. Wow. And I just, I've always said this, no one wants to follow someone who doesn't know where they're going, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? No one wants to follow someone who doesn't know where they're going. So the people of my age, where there was no GPS, everybody out there got in the car with their dad and he never, never, never asked for directions. Ever, never. No, they never asked for directions. They got there because, well, the Sunoco, if I make a left at the Sunoco and then I go down and you know what, uh, at the Acme, I can make a right at the Acme and that's how they got everywhere. And it was frustrating because you would be like, you don't know where you're going. But you always ended up where you were supposed to be. But in coaching or in leading, in managing, in parenting, no one wants to follow someone that doesn't know where they're going. And my first year, I was asking those young guys to follow me, and I didn't know where the hell I was going. Wow. And every moment after that, that's my only team at Kenrick that didn't make the playoffs. Wow. And it wasn't bad players, Joe. It was bad coaching, mm-hmm. right? The man in the mirror told me the truth, right? The man in the mirror always tells you the truth. So, and I apologize to those guys when I see them too even at this age, but then the Kenrick experience of doing that 365 days a year and all those great names in, in Norristown and Mr. Kilpatrick and Ed Bosenberg and uh, you know, recently passed away. John Rodenbaugh was one of my assistant coaches and everybody knows that Gino Oriema was my closest friend and assistant coach and Tommy Grady and Tommy Catagnus and Jimmy Genuardi and and those players, man, those players, just their families, they let me coach them. I think anytime you're involved in a, in an activity like that, parents love their children, let the coaches coach, the parents love them. And if you let the coaches coach, the coaches will grow to love your children also. Yeah. One of my earliest Kenrick memories is one, going to your camp. All the kids in my grade school, I went to a school called Holy Savior in Norristown. And anyone who remotely liked basketball went to your day camp that you yep. have in the summer for that week. That was, and you'd always have like a sixer would show up or something. Yep. I remember once like Leo Routens was like the first. Just, that was the name that was in my head. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was, I was there. And I remember Leo Rounds is there and it was like Jordan walked in. We just couldn't yep. believe Leo Rounds was there. The Sixers number one pick. And uh, he was playing, we got to play hoops with Leo Rounds, like blew our mind. And I went, I played that whole season, the Holy Savior. I was like that five foot five point guard. I was the assist leader for the other team usually. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, Leo Routon signed my, my converses. And like, I played the whole season with Leo Routon's all like signature on my shoes. But uh, growing up, two players that I just remember is watching like Leahy and Duda play. And to me, like that was like Doc and Moses. I'm like, I, those guys were like, uh, they were larger than life figures back then. Yeah. Brian came to Kenrick from Northeast Philadelphia. Uh, his family moved to Bluebell, and I was just absolutely positively fascinated. He was actually going to move up to the varsity as a freshman, which was unheard of back then. But we were having a practice, and somebody forgot to call him and tell him to be at the practice. And I just kept moving on. And then his first game of his sophomore year, he had 35 points. Second game of his sophomore year, he had 25 points. First team all Catholic as a sophomore. And he had a, you know, he had a scoring ability. He had a an IQ that was well beyond his age. And then and then Dave Duda was just such a worker. Uh he was a guy that dressed varsity as a sophomore, and that was a really big deal. But it was a very, 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 very good team, very deep. And David and, and Brian, you know, that you always need stars in whatever, whatever you're doing. You need somebody to be able to say that guy's the star. And those two were, were truly, they were great stars. And you make a great point, by the way, about, and, and I've always said this, uh, you never know, you never know when you're playing as a high school player or as a college player. You never know who's watching and what young kid is out there saying, you know what? I want to, I want to be like them. Uh, I just did an article recently with somebody and they said, well, what's your greatest memory of coaching in Philadelphia? And I would say leaving the palestra at the end of the night, walking to the team bus. And I would always stop. And I would think whether the crowd was 9,000 that night or whether it was 3,000, I would always stop and think, you know what? There was a kid here tonight whose dream is to do my job. He wants to be the coach at St. Joseph's, or he wants to be the coach at Penn, or he wants to just be on this plester floor. And I would always stop and think, you know what? I hope their dreams become a reality because I'm a young guy. I'm a Philadelphia playground rat who ended up living his dream. And I appreciate what you just said about that Friday night because that was it's we're all responsible. We're all responsible to represent our family names and we're all re responsible to represent our organization names. They could be teams like Kenrick. They could be any of the number of businesses. Uh, but you always start with your family name, your family name first. Just a quick couple of memories from back then. I just remember your players. They're like a decade or so older than myself. But like, I remember going to a Kenrick football game when I was real little and say Dave Duda was there. He was phenomenal with the little kids. Like he would talk yep. to us. We could go up to him. He would like, not just say hi and walk away. Like he would talk to us for 10 minutes. Like he yep. was such a great dude. And like, your team was just such class acts and uh, they just carried themselves. Like uh, all iterations of your team from, from Kenrick to St. Joe's, just 
on and off the court, they were just awesome. That's like definitely an MO of your players, which is just really, really commendable. I, I appreciate it. I think that, you know, when you have the opportunity to play for your high school team, when you have an opportunity to play in the Philadelphia Big Five or play in a legendary program like St. Joseph's, you have a responsibility to give back. You, you can't just take. You can't just take. You can't take in any walk of life. You, you have to give back. And that's what I'm just, I'm, I'm so appreciative of you making mention of those guys and how they handled themselves. One other fun fact that Kenrick, which I think should be a 30 for 30 on ESPN. How about what the coaching staff on that little school in Narstown, <laughs> you and Gino Ariema, I mean, two Hall of Fame coaches on the high school staff. Like, how'd that come about? Well, Gino and I met at Kathy Rush basketball camp. He was an assistant women's coach at St. Joseph's University, but he was a Kenrick grad. And like all Kenrick grads, he, he had tremendous pride and so when I had an opening, I said, hey, you ever think about wanting to do this? He had not finished school yet. He was going to school at Westchester. He was working stocking shelves and in a juniorities or someplace like that. He was selling shoes at one time in the mall. And so he came on board and neither of us had children. And we just treated it like a, like a college job. We were together 350 days a year. And, uh, and then Debbie Ryan was the coach of Virginia. She called and she said, Hey, I just got the uh, approval to have a full-time assistant coach. I'd like you to do this job because I knew her from the Kathy Rush camp. And I said, nah, I'm not, I'm not interested, but you should hire Gina. He's done. Uh, he's done women's basketball. You should hire Gina. She hired him without interviewing. And uh, I, I can remember I can remember going over, he and Kathy were loading up a little U-Haul and didn't have much and loading up the U-Haul and Kathy looks at me and says, you know, it's going to be all right. And it was, it was like, man, I, I, I hope so. And she said, well, if, it does, if it's not all right, we can always move back to Norristown. I think that's the last day that he was in Norristown because he's, he's done pretty darn well for himself. But uh, we've stayed, we've stayed very, very, very close friends. So, and I've often said this because of kind of like the difference in one, one's women's basketball, one's men's basketball, Gino is this unbelievable golfer and wine connoisseur and businessman now in, in Connecticut. And, you know, I, I, I've done well and bumped along. I've often thought, you know what, it, it should be a story that people would be like, that, that didn't, how, how could that possibly happen? Joe, we... <laughs> We used to wait on Saturdays because we didn't, we really didn't have much in our pocket. We used to wait on Saturdays. I don't even know if the, if the, it's still there anymore, but there's a golf course called center square. Yeah, sure. And uh, at center square for $5 on Saturday, you can play until it was dark, but you couldn't go on the course till five o'clock. We used to, we used to sit <laughs> in the parking lot, wait till five o'clock, pay our $5 and then just go out there and raise a ruckus really. That is awesome. Coach, be respectful of your time. You had an amazing career. Everyone in Philly knows about your 03, 04 season, the Elite Eight. I mean, just amazing. I just want to fast forward. You made an incredible transition at the end. Fast forward like 24 years. Within 90 days, you go from leading St. Joe's. You're the face of St. Joe's. Everyone knows you're one of the most famous people in the city. And then all of a sudden, 90 days later, you're in Michigan. I'm always told leaders make very fast transitions. Good leaders make quick transitions. What was that transition like for you? 
They go that's from Hawk really, Hill to Michigan. Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think that, you know, when the shock, when I was let go at St. Joe's and, that, and there was that shock, and I spent a couple of days and saying, what, what am I doing? Where, where am I going? And there was offers to do media, go to ESPN, or people said, well, you ever think about trying the NBA? And I kept thinking, ah, I, I really, I, I want to be in a locker room. I want to be in the locker room to celebrate. And I want to be in the locker room to pick up a young guy at the, at the lowest point. So came across a quote then and said, forget about worrying about why something happened to you, but embrace the idea that it happened for you. Wow. And so as it came about, Juwan Howard gets this job. He's a first time head coach in college. Doesn't really know the college game. A close friend of mine, John Calipari at Kentucky, he reaches out and says, would you have an interest? And I said, Yes. And it was easy to say yes. And then I had to sit back and think about it, Joe, and say, I've never been out of Philadelphia. Like I haven't been out of Philadelphia. How do you, how does you do this? And with my wife's blessing and my family understanding, I wanted to come here to pursue a national championship. And Jawan was smart enough when he was putting together his staff to say, you know, I know what I don't know. And what I don't know is the college game. I know the X's and O's and I know this and I know that, but mm. I need somebody that, that has been there, done that. And we made a connection. And now, you know, three and a half years later and moving towards the finish line, so to speak, it's been a fascinating experience. There's not a day that goes by though, that I don't miss Philadelphia. And, and I miss it for the reasons that you just said that Joe, like stopping at a hospital and visiting somebody or a viewing, or a funeral mass, or a wedding, uh, philanthropic community service. I always felt like the people in this position are responsible to coach their current team. Mm. They're responsible to recruit their future teams. And the same is true probably in businesses. Mm -hmm. But the third thing that you are is you're the face and the voice. And so if you can, for one second, Mm -hmm. in one milliliter, so to speak, if you can impact somebody's life for the better, just by being there or a kind word or a phone call or a note, then that's your responsibility because you're representing, in this case, the University of Michigan, you're representing St. Joseph's University, you're representing Bishop Kenrick High School. I took that, I took that very, very, very seriously. And I did not have no in my vocabulary if I could make an impact, if somebody was kind enough to think that I could make an impact to even one person, then that's why I took all the speaking engagements and the visits and the stops uh, philanthropically. Awesome. Wrapping up here, Coach, I'll do an abbreviated version of what we call share your secrets to be respectful of your time so our leaders can get to know you a little bit more as a person. Coach, with everything you have going on with recruiting and winning a national championship there at Michigan, when you need to clear your mind and recharge your body, what do you do? You know what I do, Joe? I read the newspaper. Yeah? Not online. Yep. I get the Philadelphia newspapers delivered here. Awesome. When I don't want the phone in my hand, yep. I'm not a television watcher. Uh, I am fascinated by the news, like the all news channels. 
yep. uh, because there's so much that's going on in this country. But I don't stare at television. I pick up a newspaper and I just try to block out the noise anyway. You can't block out the world because it's all there in, in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I've done, I dedicated myself last September 1st to lose a certain amount of weight. And so every day now I do cardio. Um, and while I do that cardio, I say my daily prayers. And um, that really does, it gets me recharged for that day. That's a that's a great point because I do think that that many, 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 many leaders, I think many, 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 many mothers and fathers go through a day tired. And when you're tired, you're tired physically, you're me- mentally, even emotionally tired. Yep. You can miss a moment. And boy, th- these moments are invaluable. Mm-hmm. How about reading wise? You mentioned you're a big reader. Do you have a book that influenced your life or changed your mind more than any other? Do you have a favorite book? No, I don't. I don't really. Uh, reading was a, was something that I can remember my mother lining us up and walking us to the Pascal Library when I was in second, third grade. We went every week and we had to have a book. And I'm not a, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I'm not a self-help dude. I'm a, you know, a fiction, uh, Grisham and Patterson and people like that. But yeah. there's not anything that I've read and said, you know what, that that's it. That's that's the path that I want to follow. That's my leadership style or or that's my personality style or anything like that. How great is Patterson? I just started reading some of his books. His books are just killer. Oh, it's just so good. So good. How about uh, moving on? How about what values, all the different values we spoke about, what do you think are the most important values to pass on to your players or your children? If you had to boil it down to two or three, what are the the go-tos? Respect given before respect is gotten. That's a big one. This one is huge for me. Be an intentional listener. Wow. Don't just hear, listen. Yeah. There's a difference. You know, mm-hmm. just don't look, see. Yeah. And then and then I I think Joe if if I could beg everybody, beg everybody, overuse the power of thank you. I think thank you is the most powerful statement in the English language. I think when you say it, look the person in the eye mm-hmm. and you're going to see that you touch their heart. And once you've done it, that they're going to pass it on and they're going to pass it on and they're going to pass it on. But if I could preach the power, the gospel of thank you, you know, we talked earlier about respect and we talked earlier about just kindness. Start with those two, those two small words. Thank you. There is no more powerful statement in the English language. That's, that's great. Hey, coach, last two questions. There are two fun ones. First off, if you could spend a day with any historical figure, alive or dead, <laughs> who would it be? Well, I, I'm not saying he's historical, but he is. He is. Uh, he, he's the great American poet, in my opinion. I, I would do anything to spend a day with Bruce Springsteen. Oh, that would be cool. How cool would that be? Oh my gosh. Like if every, Joe, if everybody in this country did their job with as much passion and as much emotion and as much effort as he does, wow. What a great we're a great country. We would be 
No one gives it. I'm not a music guy. I'm not a music guy. I think I could tell you I've been to, you know, maybe 11 concerts. I think I saw Rod Stewart and uh, Barbara Streisand and Diana Ross and everything like that. But I've seen Springsteen eight or nine times. Awesome. And I've been mesmerized by, you know, he he is that, he is. It's not a cliche. Yeah. He performs like that is, that a, that there's a person there that's only going to see him once. And he's going to leave them with this memory. So my person, without a doubt, I would want to spend a day. I would want to spend a day with Springsteen. And then if you gave me a 1B, I would say to you, I'd like to meet Tiger Woods. And I would just like to ask him. Tiger Woods, to me, was going to go on the Mount Rushmore. Yep. The Mount Rushmore of Americans. Not Mount Rushmore of sports. Not Mount Rushmore of golf. Mount Rushmore of, like, he was Einstein. He was Ben Franklin. He was, he, he transcended a sport and i would just say like did did it get was that too much for you Mm -hmm. but but springsteen and tiger woods and the final four they're my bucket list joe wow that's amazing thank you that's awesome the best concert i ever saw is with my college roommates a few years ago we saw springsteen at hershey park arena and it was everything you just said just Uh energy and non-stop his like hair was on fire for four hours It's and incredible. the other thing that I, the other thing I would say, and I, again, I'm not a music guy, but I dare anybody that goes to any of his concerts. And I don't care if it's the Wells Fargo or Citizens Bank or any of these world venues that he's going to. You believe he's singing to you. I went to Broadway. I saw his show on Broadway and I was looking around thinking, I think he thinks I'm the only one here because he's talking directly to me. Is he not? Like I, I couldn't convince myself that he wasn't. Ah, so good. And you mentioned the stadiums real quick. We used to love listening to you when you're on Angelo in the morning on IP. <laughs> and, and your Eagle predictions were so crazy on point. Two things. One, Jalen Hurts, buying or selling? Do you like, is he our guy? And buying. the Eagles, what do you think about Sirianni? Is he your guy? I think Sirianni is the modern day football coach. Awesome. I think we've moved away from dictatorial mm-hmm. to, you know, we used the word earlier to relationship. And just the things that you read about him, you know, the, the kid, Devontae Smith had a camp and who showed up? Sirianni. And he brought his kids. And you hear of Sirianni being on the boardwalk in Ocean City or people are running into him at different places. And you know, in Philadelphia, if, if you commit to the people of Philadelphia, then they commit to you for a lifetime. Come on. Dick Vermeil is still on billboards in Philadelphia. Yeah, absolutely. And then Jalen, what do you think? Is he our guy? Yeah, I think he's... I think humility, again, I don't know about the skills and all that other stuff, but I think the humility and the way that his teammates talk about him lead me to, uh, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him. Awesome. Last question. Coach Martelli, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? Mm. whatever the situation or circumstance that you enter into that I've entered into my hope and dream is that I left it better than what I found wow that you left it better than you found that is awesome coach Phil Martelli it's been an honor to have you on the show I'd like to thank you for walking us through some great memories from back from the Widener to Kenrick to St. Joe's 
now to Michigan. Wish you nothing but success at Big Blue and hope you guys win that national title. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Hope oh. we can hook up soon. Oh, thank you, Phil. Thanks, Coach. Right. I appreciate All you. Right. All right, Joe. Thanks for the invite. See you now. Bye.